Welcome to the Coached Success Podcast. This podcast is aimed at connecting you with the ways top performers think about challenges so that you can adapt your thinking accordingly and live your version of ultra extraordinary. On today's episode, I speak to Barbara about how a toxic marriage and overcoming cancer led to her reinventing herself and starting over in paradise. In this episode, she reflects on her life and the challenges that she faced along the way and how these challenges woke her up to a life of greater purpose, passion and possibility. Stay tuned, this is an episode not to be missed. So Barbara, thank you for for joining me on the call today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Barbara, do you want to tell us a bit about your journey? Sure. Uh, So I have uh, lived in Thailand for about four and a half years. I'm originally from the Bay Area. So I was born in Oakland, right across the Bay from San Francisco. And uh, I grew up in the East Bay. I um, went to college in San Jose, and then I had a beautiful career in high tech. So I spent 25 something years selling computers and software in Silicon Valley. And I was just there at the perfect right time. Uh, I'm a mom of two. Uh, I've been married and divorced twice. And uh, I never expected to live in Asia, but Mm -hmm. here I am. Awesome. Um, So it sounds like you have quite a full life. You said you lived in the States and you worked in tech for for 25 years. Um, You've also been divorced twice and you have two kids. Tell me a bit right. about your experience in tech. And what made you decide to move away from tech? Yeah, tech was a blast. So I got my first job right out of college in 1987 and uh, worked selling hardware and then eventually moved into software after a few years. And um, I feel like I was really there at a time of tremendous growth. It was very exciting. It was very stimulating. You made huge cash. and it was just kind of the center of the universe as far as technology went. So uh, it was a great time and I worked for some of the best companies, uh, you know, really A-list companies like Apple and Sun, Microsystems, Digital Equipment Corporation, Palm. Um, So it was a blast. And uh, I did end up, once I had my kids, I kind of bounced between hardware and software, but I spent more time selling hardware because you didn't have to be on a plane. You just drove your car around the Bay Area and then you could be at home, you know, to put your kids to bed at night and, you know, read stories and make dinner and do all the mom stuff. So that was really fun. Okay, that sounds quite interesting. (laughs) Um, At least you were able to say, like, you incorporated both your career and your your family. And then you decided to move to Asia. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. So um, I had actually already left tech. Um, In 2000, end of 2008, the economy in the United States was, you know, it was a big financial crisis and they took everybody in the division of the company I was working for and they, they basically closed it. So I was laid off for the very first time in my life. And I was like, what? I'm not the laid off girl. I'm the sales superstar girl. What are you doing? What are we talking about here? And I decided at that time to start a business and it was completely unrelated to tech. It was a business in the healthcare field that helped seniors find assisted living. And uh, I ran that very successfully for three years, and then I sold it. And unfortunately, the reason that I sold it was because I was in a very, very toxic marriage, and I had a nervous breakdown. 
And so I, you know, met with the woman who I thought I was going to hire. And she said, actually, I'd like to buy the business. And I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. No, that wasn't, you know, what I had in mind at all. But I realized I was being given, given a gift from the universe that says, here's a way to capitalize on all the hard work you've put in over these three years. And you can just sell this to her for, you know, a bunch of money and walk away and, and start over again. So um, I did that. I did some traveling right after that. And I had left my then husband for about a year in the year of 2013. And I saw him again, New Year's Day, 2014. And man, I got sucked straight back into that relationship. You know, we loved each other, but he has an alcohol problem and a gambling problem and a truthfulness problem. <laughs> and so uh, I just decided that, um, you know, I loved him and I wanted to give it another go. We bought a house together outside of the Bay Area in Placerville, which is near Lake Tahoe. And um, at the end of that year, I got a breast cancer diagnosis. And, you know, when you get that, you feel like you've been kicked by a horse. It's really, really, um, it's a big impact on your life. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take it one step at a time, go through treatment, do everything. Well, I ended up having to leave my husband in the middle of my own chemotherapy because he just wasn't taking care of me. He was kind of a narcissist, making everything all about him. I couldn't really rely on him. And I just thought, dude, if it's you or me, I am choosing my own life. Mm. And so I left him right before I lost all my hair. I'd had, you know, a mastectomy. It was not a good looking year in 2015. I was not looking cute then, but I just felt like I really had to just leave him and rely on family and friends to support me during that time, which is what I did. And I really believe that is a decision that saved my life. Okay. So you mentioned a couple of things over there um, that I'd like to touch on. First of all, you said that you, in, in um, 2008, you got laid off because your company basically needed to close down. Um, yes. Tell me a bit about that. How did you handle that initial, like you said, that shock because you were the sales girl or the superstar salesperson. We had, you had this yes. idea of yourself and now suddenly your world got shaken upside down. So how did you handle that? Well, you know, I didn't feel singled out. It wasn't about my performance. It was about, you know, they've decided this isn't a profitable business for them. And so, you know, things happen. It's just business. So I didn't feel particularly bad about it. I thought, well, this has never happened to me before, but it's happening not only to me, but to everybody that I work with. So I didn't feel victimized in any way. I didn't feel singled out. I just felt like business is business. They made a business decision. Everybody, you know, is losing their jobs all around me. And it's just kind of one of those things that you just have to go, okay, um, this happened. Now what am I going to do? Another thing that you mentioned is that then you started a business in assisted living. Tell me yeah. what made you decide to actually go into this industry. Um, my father had fallen down the stairs in the middle of the night in 2005, and my sister and I were absolutely beside ourselves. We had no clue what to do. And the hospital connected us with um, one of these agencies. It was free to us. It was the most useful, helpful service I've ever used in my life because my sister and I were just completely freaked out and didn't have any information. We, were, we felt like we were making really important decisions on his behalf with basically no information. So this service was like a life-saving service for him and, you know, sanity for us. So um, 
I was washing my hair one day in early 2009 and, or maybe late 2008. And you know those flow experiences where you're just kind of zoning out? I thought, this is it. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a business like this um, down in the South Bay where I was living. You know, he'd been up in the North Bay, so there was no competition. And I grew it from nothing to $250,000 a year and had five employees. You saw, you saw the chance and you jumped on it. And then the fact that you were involved in assisted living um, provided you with a framework for, or do you think it did provide you with a form of framework when you went, went into your own, or dealing with your own cancer diagnosis? I never connected those two things in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that I was serving were elderly. They were usually just coming out of the hospital or just out of skilled nursing. They'd either had heart attack, stroke, fall, um, or a lot of them had been independent, but they felt very isolated in their own homes. And they, they hadn't had any kind of a health event, but they were very lonely. They didn't want to have to cook for themselves anymore, just those kinds of things. So the, the levels of care that I worked with were, they kind of ran from independent and sick of, you know, taking out my own garbage and want to have some more friends to just had triple bypass surgery or just had a stroke need to like learn everything over again. So I never connected those two um, things in my mind. I think there is one connection though, and that is compassion. So being in high tech, people are more smart than they are kind. (laughs) Um, A lot of them are very shrewd. They'll, you know, do whatever it takes. And I knew that, but I was never like that and I never wanted to be like that. I really, my compassion for others really grew as a result of running my company because you just see people that are very vulnerable and they just need somebody that's going to be on their side and advocate for them and be the strong one when they can't. And so when I went through treatment, I used that compassion with myself and I never fought. You know, I think that the prevailing wisdom is fight cancer, be a warrior. I write a lot about this in the book, that that is, I believe, the absolute opposite of what you should be doing when you get any kind of a diagnosis. Because when you fight, anybody who's ever been in a physical fight of any kind knows that you take the energy from you and you push it out toward your opponent. And I think that you need to reserve your energy and you need to baby yourself and mother yourself or father yourself and really use that compassion for your own healing instead of thinking about it as a fight and not being nice to yourself, not giving yourself the rest you need, pushing yourself too hard, not giving yourself the good food and water and, and sleep and nice baths and naps and, and visits with friends that you need to heal. It's really important. Yeah. And like you said there, the fact that the compassion part played a major role in your life. And I do agree that, like you say, when you were going through the difficulties of obviously dealing with cancer or overcoming cancer, you needed to have more compassion for yourself and realize that um, to connect more with your, your mortality, the fact that yeah. I don't have complete control over this, but I can create the space between me and this disease. This is not me. And from that point, you're able to make more empowering decisions and choices for yourself. Absolutely. I really believe in the power of surrender. And I think that when you surrender to something that really is bigger than you, 
you eliminate your own suffering and you're able to take informed action, empowered action for yourself, instead of struggling and fighting and feeling bad, you can just take all that energy and reserve it for your own healing and your own self-care. If you are enjoying this episode and would like some practical tips that you can use daily to thrive, then head over to coachedsuccess.com forward slash thrive and download our five daily tips to thrive. That is coachedsuccess.com forward slash thrive. Now let's get back to the episode. And then you mentioned that um, obviously when you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer, um, how did it push you to make the right decisions for yourself? Well, um, we had spent about four days together. I had been down in the Bay Area spending time with him and with my best friend. And then I drove home and it was a three hour drive. I was in the middle of cancer treatment and I couldn't reach him the entire day. Like he had two cell phones, one for work, one for personal. I tried six times over a 10 hour period. He never called me. And you know, if you and I were married, I would kind of expect that maybe you would say, honey, did you get home safe? Um, he didn't call. I couldn't reach him. And I just thought this only means one thing, relapse. And I had already told him in a very, very clear way that I wasn't going to do this anymore. If, if he couldn't stop drinking, I understand, but I got to think about myself and my own health. And this is not low stakes. This is cancer. And that's the way it's got to be. And he's like, oh yeah, I understand. But I just, I knew what it was about. And I wasn't even angry at that point. I was just like, yeah, we're done here. And so I just decided to get on the phone to my sister, to my friends and say, here's the decision I've made. I'm going to need some support. And everybody was fantastic. Everybody was fantastic. They drove me to appointments. They picked me up from surgery. They let me stay at their houses. They cooked for me. They were amazing. Okay. And tell me, do you think that cancer um, allowed you to put yourself first? Or do you think you'd have done it before you actually got that diagnosis? I would never have done it before. In this way, cancer was a tremendous gift from the universe. It mm -hmm. was something so serious that it was like, girl, you got to change your life. This is not, we're not messing around here. If it's you or him, choose you. And I did. I love that. And like you say, sometimes we have to go through the difficulties or the difficult times and the struggle, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the struggle is there to break us, but instead shake us and wake us up to um, yeah. our authentic and true selves and make us realize that maybe we're not on the right path or maybe we need to take time and create that space from our daily lifestyles or our daily activities and always being in the rush. So I like the fact that you see that, you know, it was through this bad and challenging time that I actually decided that I'm my number one priority and I'll become my number one priority. And then tell me a bit about the move to Asia. So you said you decided to move to Asia and come and teach. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So my daughter um, graduated in 2012 when the economy was still not doing well. And, you know, she graduated from a good school and under normal, normal circumstances, there would have been plenty of great jobs for her to choose from. But she um, had always talked about going to teach English in Japan. And she studied J Japanese for four years when she was in high school 
She took all the Japanese and all the Japanese culture she could in college. And, uh, you know, once she graduated, I'm like, hey, how about that teaching job in Japan idea? And she's like, yeah, you know, you've had such a high tech career. Maybe I should just go do that. And then one day we all had a huge life changing experience. Uh, she was going to go to the beach with a couple of friends and I kissed her goodbye like it was any other day. And she knocks on my bedroom door at 1230 at night. And I'm a real morning person. So nobody knocks on my bedroom door at 1230 at night. It's like, if it's past 10, I'm kind of done for the day. And she goes, you'll never believe what happened to me today. And I said, well, you went to the beach with your friends, right? And she goes, yeah. And we were all swamped by a rogue wave. She goes, mom, I thought it was, I thought I was done. I thought I was going to be dragged out to sea, hit my head on rocks, be drowned. And, you know, I'd wash up on the shore. And so, you know, we went to the other end of the house, hugged, cried, talked and talked and talked. And when we talked the next morning, I said, how are you feeling about things now? And she said, I'm going to Japan. And I said, I think that's the right answer. And so she was already in Japan teaching. Uh, when I got my diagnosis, she was already, um, you know, established as a young teacher. She'd gotten hired in a hot minute. And so it kind of set the wheels in motion for me thinking if this could work for her, it would probably be pretty easy for me to get hired because, you know, I've got a ton of experience and I am used to standing up and speaking in front of, you know, I thought my skills would be transferable from sales to teaching would probably be not, not that hard. And so I got online and found myself a job. I looked at Japan, I looked at Japan, I looked at Spain, I looked at Chile. Um, and when I looked at Thailand, they just were on it, man. They were, they had a very well-organized hiring process and, um, I started out in uh, Suratani, which is on the Gulf of Thailand side in a great teaching town. So, yeah, um, okay. I taught for them and it was great. Your daughter wanted to um, move to Japan and teach over there, but obviously, you know, sometimes we don't want to leave our normal life behind for fear that maybe things don't work out there or maybe what I'm leaving here is better than what I'm decided to go after. So we usually have that type of fear that we don't know what to expect and then we'd rather just stay with what we have. And like you say, that wave just also told them or made it realize that, you know what, let me just live the life I want to and make the decisions and decide. Like, if I don't like it, it's okay, I can always come back. You mentioned fear. This is another way that cancer was a tremendous gift to me because I am not afraid of anything anymore. Not a thing. It's like fear doesn't even come into my life. It's like, it's not real. And that was the thing that, that chemotherapy taught me. They send you to this chemotherapy class in, uh, when, you're, when you're getting uh, ready for, for treatment. And you know, you got all these people in class and you think, okay, I had breast cancer, but you probably have kidney cancer and the person over here has lung cancer and this chick over here has breast cancer also, but a, a different kind than mine. And so they show you all these terrible side effects like nausea and vomiting and mouth sores and you know, fatigue and just terrible things, bone pain. And uh, I just kind of looked around the room and I thought, we all are different people, different body chemistries, different types of cancer. We're going to have different treatment regimens. There's no way that everybody in this room is going to have everything on that list. No way. Impossible. There's no way that I'm probably going to have everything on that list. So there's no reason to fear anything because you're fearing something that has not happened yet and may never ever happen. And I just thought, wow, what a gift 
that I have received was this freedom from fear over going through, through chemotherapy. And you know, there were hard days. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It's really, really gnarly. It's very hard on your body. And there are days where I was like, nope, not getting out of bed, getting a glass of water, coming back to bed, have some more sleep. And so that was what I did. I, I held this image of myself in my mind as though I was my own tiny baby girl. And I wasn't gonna ask that baby to fight. I was gonna give her as many you know, hours in bed as she needed. I was gonna fill her full of the best water and the best food and eliminate drama from my life. If somebody couldn't be supportive or just, you know, couldn't be there for me, I understand. I'm going back to bed now and I'm gonna go take care of myself. Um, can you tell me, Barbara, like, um, with regards to obviously your whole concept of fear being changed by cancer, can you tell me, did you, did you accept the fact that you're going to die or that you might die? Well, I mean, I guess I considered it a very, remote possibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you get the diagnosis, you feel like you've been ki kicked by a horse. I mean, mm -hmm. you just feel that impact immediately. Mm -hmm. They had said to me, you're going to get the call between 24 and 48 hours from you know, the time you have your biopsy. When you get the call, make sure you're sitting in a chair. And that turned out to be excellent advice because you feel the impact like you've been hit by a car mm -hmm. or you, know, you really definitely feel it. So, um, I did consider my own mortality, but what I really immediately thought about was, what do I need to change in my life so that I can heal? And then you moved to Thailand and you decided to write a book. Do you want to tell us a bit about the book? Yeah. Um, so the book has a funny and very aggressive title. And many friends have encouraged me to try to change the title of the book, but I am not changing it. It's called I Made Life My Bitch. And the way the book came about um, was from my journals. So when I was going through all the difficulties with my ex-husband and the cancer diagnosis and all of that, um, I'd gone back to the States for a visit about 18 months after I moved to Thailand. And uh, I was visiting with my friend Mary and she said, I said, yeah, I'm writing a book. And she goes, oh really, what's the book about? And I said, well, it's kind of like my own eat, pray, love story, but I have to find a better title than trapped in an alcoholic marriage got cancer, ran away to Thailand. And she goes, yeah, I think you should call it I Made Life My Bitch. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, what a title. But I mean, she's hilarious. And so I didn't really give it, you know, serious consideration as the title. I just thought the title will come when the title will come. And um, yeah, I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and never expected really it to turn into a book. It was really just from my journals. And Kind of my own personal catharsis and then one day i realized if you write this book and it's funny and engaging and entertaining and a story of hope and triumph you're going to help a lot of people because show me one person in the world who's never been in a bad relationship has never had a scary diagnosis of some kind or you know with a family member a mother a father um grandmother something like that and show me one person who doesn't want to run away to paradise and just begin their life again, you know, start over, start fresh. And so I just thought, wow, there's kind of something for everybody in my story. And so that's why I decided, you know what, why not? Because otherwise I just went through my own pain and it didn't have any meaning. I wanted to put it out there because if you can help just one person based on some kind of crappy experience that you've had, it takes it from being just a crappy experience to being a beacon of light and beacon of hope to 
other people who've had this experience. And it's like, that's way more worthwhile. And I just wanted my experiences to count for something, you know? I completely agree. And that's the thing is that we all go through challenges and difficult times, but many times, many times people, um, they just go through it and they forget about it and they move on with life instead of realizing yeah. that there are other people also struggling with this. And maybe the lessons we've learned along the way can actually make a huge impact on their journey, on where they are in life right now. So yeah. well done on writing your book and sharing your story. And then tell, you. tell us about the, you know, the second chance at life that you've got after moving to Thailand and how you recreated and rediscovered your authentic and true self. Yes, it's been a miracle. Like I said, you know, when I first came to Thailand, I had just finished surgery. I had just finished reconstruction. You know, my hair was still curly from the chemo. Um, and I was just brokenhearted. You know, I didn't want to have to leave my husband, but it was him or me and I was choosing my own life. So I got a job. I bought a one-way plane ticket. He drove me to the airport. I arrived in Saratani and began the rest of my life. And it really has been like being 18 again, where you just figure, I'm just going to try all kinds of new things. Why shouldn't I? Like, I'm still young enough and still strong enough um, to do everything that I want to do. And now that I don't have fear, I drive a motorbike. I, you know, date on Tinder. I do everything. I eat all kinds of crazy foods that, you know, I'm not even sure what that is, but I'll try that. Because why shouldn't you? That's like real living. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cat has been wonderful. I've lived here for almost two years now. I have a beautiful little house and friends, and it's a great place to live except for the traffic. What is one piece of advice that you have um, in conclusion to our discussion for somebody who's going through a tough time right now, who's struggling, who's stuck in their feelings? I would say um, take it one day at a time. That allows you to eliminate the fear because you're living in the present moment. You don't want to worry and fear something that may never happen. Just be present and deal with things as they come about. So I never, um, you know, threw up once when I went through chemotherapy. I was stayed ahead of it. But I just tried to do the next right thing. You know, deal with things as they come up. If you have a problem, solve that problem. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about it or fearing it because that's just kind of pointless. It's like you don't need any of that. It's better to just be in the present moment. Don't fear the future. If you have a problem, solve it, but don't pre-freak out about things that probably aren't even going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the fact that you said they don't pre-freak out about things that probably won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and that is just part yeah. of human nature that we tend to overthink the future to realize that. It's their own thoughts that are causing them the anxiety and for them actually to have the pain in the present moment because they're thinking about what if this happens tomorrow. I like, exactly. that. I like that you pointed out that. Take it one day at a time. So exactly. Barbara, um, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your insight and your journey with us and just your story of strength. And when will your book be available and where will it be available? My book, we're um, launching on August 7th, which is a Friday just about three weeks uh, from now. It's uh, in layout right now, and it's going to be available on Amazon as an ebook. And uh, in the meantime, you can go to the Facebook group called I Made Life My Bitch, and you can join my group. And that way you'll get all the details on when it will be available, when we're doing the book launch, and uh, how to get it. 
Thank you, Barbara. Thanks once again for taking the time out of your day to chat to me and share your journey with us. Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure. <laughs>